This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spent half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains of Central Oregon. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life, even now as a media creator and a beer professional. This is how Mountain Sea Media was born. I realized how impactful stories are to our lives and business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode 11 of Good Beer Matters. Beer having you know the four main ingredients plus extra things we're adding like grapes in one of our beers, apricots in another one of our beers gives you more to work with. You know why bother? Life's too short, so so I eat good food and, and drink good beer and good wine for that matter, and you will have a better life for it. This episode comes with the soundtrack. Partly because my guests and I sat outside with music playing in the background as I recorded this, but also because this episode is all about how good beer can pair with just about anything to create a richer experience. The crew at Ailsong Brewing, south of Eugene, Oregon, are very adept in creating some masterful beers by blending their experiences. They draw inspiration from the culinary world, music, nature, and especially their next-door neighbor who just happens to be one of the largest biodynamic-slash-organic wineries in the world. My name is Jeremy. I'm a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food, and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 11, where we explore the fascinating world of pairings, of balance, and of very good beer with Ailsong Brewing and Blending. So for the sake of this podcast, will you tell me your names? Brian Coombs, Doug Coombs, and Matt Van Wyke. And, and where are we today? We're at Ailsong Brewing and Blending, tasting room about 20 miles southwest of Eugene, Oregon. Uh, and again, just for the sake of the environment, um, what what's happening today? What's the event? So we have our fall bottle release today. Um, we release new beers four times a year and... Today is the day for our fall release. We've got four new beers that just came out, and we have um, a mailing list that purchases beer online, and this is kind of the pickup party. Uh, come out, try the new beers. We have cheese pairings, um, and it's just a good good time for us to hang out and chat with all of our customers, and they get the new beers. Nice. Uh, I, I was... Uh impressed isn't the right word, a very extremely appreciative that with the type of beers that you guys are brewing that it wasn't just a, hey, here's the beer. It was a beer with the cheese, which, as you guys know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, completely changes the experience. Not that necessarily the flavor. Well, I guess the flavor's a little bit too, but, um, but it changes the experience. Why did you guys do 
cheese with your beer release today? Well, one of the reasons we have cheese, and we've done different pairings at our releases. We've done ice cream pairings. We've done chocolate pairings. We've done different kinds of food, but cheese goes great with beer. And as much as a wine fan will tell you that that that's the perfect beverage to have with cheese, it's really beer. And, and, and that's not just because I'm a beer guy. Um, the carbonation and the acidity in some of our beers is really a palate scrubber and clean, uh, cleans that fatty, heavy flavors off your tongue. So we think it's a, a perfect marriage. Um, and because of the beers we make and, and the occasions we want people to drink them in, you should be having them with the finer foods. Um, and quite frankly, we like to eat cheese as well. So we're, it's a little bit selfish. Yeah. And frankly, with, with wine, I mean, uh, in order to cut or offset that cheese, you either have like tannins or acidity with like a, like a New Zealand Sauv Blanc, for example. But uh, there's not really a lot... To pair with yeah really and in I, reality and i should mention too i love wine and the wine does go well with cheese but yeah. but uh, secret beer, don't tell anyone but so do i <laughs> <laughs> exactly but beer beer having you know the four main ingredients plus extra things we're adding like grapes in one of our beers apricots in another one of our beers and um cocoa in another vanilla is just gives it more gives gives you more to work with as a you, yeah you have way more tools in the toolbox mm-hmm. to, right. to kind of pair cheese yeah. and, and 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 i totally agree people don't realize that cheese and beer go to better yep. way easier than yep. beer and wine yep interesting um then uh so that kind of brings me to well one of the things i've i've heard you talk about matt was um uh, the name of this place, and 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 I, I kind of want to dive into that. Um, with this podcast, I kind of want to dive into beer pairings, but not just beer and food, but beer and music, beer and environment, beer and whatever it is that you guys are into. But tell me about the name. Yeah, I can do that. Um, so, Ale Song, um, it's pretty self-explanatory in the sense that it's the word ale and the word song put together. Um, and we really approach that in the way that this, the way we make our beers and specifically the barrel aged beers is that we're going through our cellar and we're tasting every single barrel and we're looking for barrels that are going to go well together and more often than not improve the the qualities of the, the overall blend that we're looking for. So we look at it as really like, you know, the final blend is much greater than the sum of each individual part. And we approach that much like a, you know, composer is going to approach composing a song where if you hear just the just the bass line in a in a song it's not as um you know not as interesting and and enjoyable as when you hear all of it together so it's just more of you know we do have some barrels that are like oh yeah that's a great barrel by itself but it's more of of how do we play them off each other and and that that blending component is really like how we associate it with other artists and things that are really combining more than one element into their final product um as well as just music is really near and dear to all of our hearts and i think mine especially it's just always kind of driven my everything I do. There's always music playing in the background. Were, in were life, you, but. were you guys musicians? Uh, yeah, all three of us were. <laughs> yeah. Um, I probably played longer than, than these guys, but I played drums. Drums. Um, what did you play? I played the trumpet and, uh, saxophone, but I also dabble in a harmonica and I'm about ready to buy a banjo. So we'll see how that goes. So have, we don't, really we don't, harmonica, 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 yeah. so so did you guys play in a band together or is it just oh, kind of yeah, none of this is professional <laughs> for me Brian's probably got the most uh, actually you started at the Oregon uh, University of Oregon marching band too but that didn't last long right that I, I went I went to tryouts and got in and well, decided I didn't want to do that anymore. But my, my biggest claim to fame was doing I moved to Detroit for a little while after college and me and my friend had a band that we uh 
we toured around all the dive bars in Detroit, which was super fun. So that's kind of fun. Wow. Should we travel down that rabbit hole? I don't know. I think we leave it at that. Let's leave it at that. So, um, uh, also I, I've also played music around and, and, and so I think in terms, um, relating to music i think in terms of relating to sports and stuff like that but um with the type of beers that you guys are making relating it to music um you know oftentimes i think there are those um those breweries that make this one beer with just these amazing hops and to me it's just kind of like stevie ray vaughn going off on some like face melting solo and then you have someone like the edge from u2 who just kind of weaves this tapestry this tapestry of sound in the background that just kind of invokes an emotion but it's not it's not um, in your face. Where are you guys in that continuum with your beer? I think we're, I think we're hundred percent more on the. Um, it's more subtle nuances. It's more akin to. Um, it's not just one thing that's just screaming out at you in our beers. It's usually we really strive for for balance. And I know that's the most cliche thing for a brewer and blender to say, but there's often. Um, I came of drinking age when when Northwest IPAs were were becoming really popular and it was like, okay, it seemed like brewers and breweries were like, how do we make this the most bitter as possible? There can? was the arms race. Yeah, exactly. The, the, arms, arms, race. the arms race. Yeah. So let's, let's just make this as bitter as we can. And then, and then it kind of went back to balance now, I think we're at a point with IPAs that it's really balanced and good. And then I feel like that happened with, with barrel aged beer and sour beer, especially where it was like, and that's more recent where it's just been like, okay, let's sour beer. Let's explore that and let's make it as sour as we possibly can. But then you have one sip and your stomach hurts and the enamels off your teeth. <laughs> and I, so noticed, we really strive for something that, that you can have a whole glass of and that is going to be enjoyable and there's going to be really kind of nuanced yeah. um, elements to each part of it. And I've noticed that with a lot of beers probably uh, 10 years or so ago, where if there was a vanilla porter, there was a ton of vanilla. If there was a chili beer, there was a ton of chili. Right. And it's kind of like, okay, we're, we're poking out the outer edge to see how far we can take this. That didn't sell. Okay, let's pull it back a little bit. And now there's right. a lot more subtlety in a lot of the beers that we drink around here. Um, are you guys noticing the same thing and trying to uh, find that just perfect balance of balance? I think, I think we are trying to find it and we're always searching for it. Um, and unfortunately, self, uh, unfortunately, a brewer is looking for subtleties, balance, complexities, and nuances. And a lot of a lot of uh, customers appreciate that, but there's still a place for death metal, you know, melt your face off, because there's a customer for that too. And so um, while we want to keep providing and making and blending the beers we want to drink, we also need to make sure that our customers are enjoying them too. And uh, and they like both ways, uh, you know, it's something that's big and boozy and bourbony. But uh, if we have it our way, it'll be something that's nuanced and, and uh, complex and dr- drinkable at bottom line. Beer's got to be drinkable. If it's not, why make it? Sure. And, and the stuff you're doing is is highly nuanced. Uh, the, the four beers I tasted today is highly nuanced. Um, it's the type of beer that I want to think about for weeks on end and pair with something exceptional. But then there's that time when you just want a, just a table red to go with yeah. this pasta or, you know, I'm just going to have that IPA with this burger Yeah. because I don't want to think about it. I just want to enjoy it. Yeah. The, the, the biggest one that comes to mind of the four we're releasing today, uh, the terroir Pinot Gris. Brian, you want to tell them about what that beer is? Yeah. So that beer is uh, our Brett Saison base. So it's 100% pretendomyces fermented beer. And then I got a dose of, uh, of Pinot Gris from our neighbors up the up the hill here at, at King Estate. Um, 
and fresh Pinot Gris juice when it went down in the barrel as the sugar source. And then it aged for almost a year. And then we brought it back up and bottled it with another dose of Pinot Gris juice um, at packaging for the sugar source at packaging. And these beers are, you know, it's not, we're not trying to make a beer that tastes exactly like a Pinot Gris wine. We want the, the stone fruit and the key lime flavors of the Pinot Gris to really meld with kind of the Saison base that we have and the, and the citrus notes you're going to get from the Brett that we used. So there's a lot of, and that beer specifically, and why we have it first on our, on our list today is, is we want you to try that first on a fresh palate and you can really taste all those nuances. And one thing I wanted to point out with, with what Matt was saying about balance is, is with wine, it's really, I think, apparent that when you're buying a, a, a label or a, or a brand of wine, you're really buying the, the winemaker's palate because that's what they're bringing to the table. Especially the blending. blends. Yeah, Especially exactly. Blends. And, and you're definitely doing that with beer, too. You're buying the brewer's palate and, what, and their take on things. And I think with us, with blending, it's like even more so because it's us three sitting together. Um, and going through our barrels and being like, okay, well, this is too acidic for what we want to do, or this is not acidic enough. Let's balance these out. And it's, uh, you're really kind of buying our palates and what, uh, to train our palates. We like to, we, we often drink a lot of, you know, research beers in the brewery where if we're going to make a R&D wine, baby, yeah, if we're going to make a wine beer, we'll go out and we'll get, we'll get, you know, one from the rare barrel, one from the brewery, one from Cascade, one from Ale Apothecary, you know, we'll go through and we'll. We'll kind of calibrate and be like, okay, what do we like out of this one? What do we like out of these ones? Okay, where can we take it? And yeah. It's just. I've had those, uh, well, just keep it simple, like those IPAs. Well, okay, that bitter IPA is one thing, that tropical IPA is another. <clears throat> but when you get that IPA that's got like subtle hints of grassy notes and a little bit of guava and then just a, just a, just a touch of pine sap, but then the edges are not poking you in the eyeballs like some can. It's just actually kind of like round and soft and kind of gently carries you through that bitterness that's an exceptional thing right absolutely and that's that's a palate of the brewer mm-hmm. and which so that that kind of leads us to the um beer pairings with art um and, and i so you guys are talking about your interpretation of some of these styles or these flavors and your approach to it and of course there's a lot of science that gets you there uh talk to me about beer and art I think uh, uh, when, when we've talked about the name Ale Song before too, you know, one of the things that goes along with that is we we find that at least you know musicians are artists and uh, and they're creating something for someone else to enjoy. And same way, if you're a painter or if you're a sculptor or whatever kind of art you're creating, you're doing something um, that you love that you enjoy, um, and you're creating it for someone else to look at. They may like it, they may not like it, um, but that's your intent as an artist. And I think with beer, we do that too. You know, we're interpreting different styles. We're we're um, putting our own spin on things and, and putting it where we want it to taste. But ultimately, you know, this beer isn't totally for us. We got it for this audience that's joining us here today. And, and we want them to come to us and say, hey, thanks, that was really good. I like what you created. And I've been a brewer since professionally since 2001 and one of the greatest things I feel that I've kept doing this is because I'm making something that someone says hey I like that and they say thanks and that's like that little pat on the back you've made something tangible and I think an artist gets that same thing too where a pat on the back and says that really spoke to me or that really moved me in some way Um, and I think we feel that when we make our blends at Ailsong. Well, and to continue on with that um, analogy of, of music is, okay, there's the artistry of writing the song and coming up the recipe. 
And then there's the, okay, now we're going to go out and play the same song um, for 100 nights out of the next year and have to make it sound like it's the first time we're playing the song every single night. Um, and having spent some time around musicians, they have a way of connecting with people and not just like, I know these notes, I know these uh, lyrics, let's just get through this. Um, and those are two completely different experiences. Uh, can you speak to me a little bit about, um, you've brewed these beers before, you've brewed many beers before, but how do you how do you make it fresh and exciting? How do you connect with the people when you're brewing? Well, the great thing we decided to do is do a new song every night. Every show is different. So, nice. so we were just counting up all of our beers, and in a year and a half, we've created between 35 and 40 different beers. Um, and uh, and so that's one thing is that our songs keep changing every time we have a... So a, you're a jam new, band. We're jam band. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. Exactly. You're jam band of beer. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, yeah, but it is hard, and and you know when you have a flagship or something which we don't really have, we we've um, we uh, we keep riffing on some styles. Like we have our, our rhino suit, which we've done a mocha version, a vanilla version, and we got another one coming up in February. We've done our touch of Brett, which is our most award-winning beer, um, and we've put different dry hops in it. So I think the jam band uh, analogy is a good one because we just we kind of twist it up every night and do something right. a little different. It's, yeah, sometimes we do a cover of a classic style and we make it our own and other times we just like are coming up with something that is totally original for us. So it's it's kind of that that spectrum. And so if you come up with a beer that wins an award at GABF or Craft Beer Awards, um, it, it seems like you're a little bit, uh, maybe not irreverent, but um, you're like, well, that was cool. Let's see what we where we can take it next instead of like, okay, that worked. Let's keep doing that. Yeah, I think uh, I think you can have both um, reactions to to say winning an award at JBF or World Beer Cup, um, and and both are probably not wrong. Um, but with our beers, when you have uh, barrels that we're pulling beer from and aging in, each barrel is unique, and even if we tried to be extremely um, uh, consistent. It's going to be hard to, and we and we can blend to certain flavors and be as consistent as possible. But we just get different um, uh, results all the time, and uh, it's because of the organisms we're working with, Brett and Lacto, mm-hmm. and the barrels that we get in, and um, then just the seasons, the temperature swings, in yep. the warehouse and stuff. Which, yep. which that in and of itself is kind of like okay, here it, it's almost like um, rolling the dice, knowing knowing what your odds are. Yeah. But I mean, you're just like okay, let's go there and. Um, I think I know where it's going to end up, but we'll yep. we'll see yep. in and, and 18 months. The other thing, too, is I'll, I'll be honest with you that um, uh, we uh, we love the awards uh, competitions that we enter beers into, but we know it's not a perfect situation because it's humans that are uh, analyzing your beers. And so just because you win one year doesn't mean, well, that's it. If you can make it just like that, you will win again because it's not a machine that judged your beer. It's a human palate. Yeah. And it'll be a different set of judges. So... We're not going to jump on the bandwagon to say, keep making it because then we can keep making awards. Now, if the cash register keeps turning and, and people are lining up all the way back to Eugene to get a beer, then we'll talk and see if we want to make that one again. Yeah. But yeah. It, it always seemed like me, uh, be, I mean, being a beer judge, I don't want to disrespect being a beer judge. I think there's a definite purpose in that. However, it also seems to me like uh, judging surfing competitions. It's it's kind of like you based on on style and and effort and and all these subjective intangibles that it's kind of it seems like a popularity contest at the end of the day. Yeah, the, you know the 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 competitions, especially GABF, which I've judged for a dozen years now, um, it's as objective as possible. Um, they have a rigid set of um, criteria, 
and it's all double blind, so you don't know whose beer is whose. But there's the human element where it becomes subjective. Sure, and, um, it's, it's just natural. One sure. of the biggest things with awards, though, that that we take away with them is you do have double blind, trained people with trained palates that are tasting your beers and writing good notes and giving you feedback on them. So we definitely anticipate when we get our notes back and we sit there and we all sit and we open the beers again and we read them and we go, oh, okay, I see where he's tasting that. Like maybe we can tweak that a little next time because we're always trying to like, you know, we're not trying to make the same beer again, but we can take some of the, okay, well that worked in this beer and why did, how do we get that flavor? What process was that? And we can really kind of figure out um, like from the notes, just, just how to, how to make better beer in the long run. Yeah. So it's, there's definitely that component of it too. I think if it was, if it was just the kind of crapshoot of winning an award, because I, I, there's a lot of luck involved when there's that big of competitions, we probably wouldn't do it. But the fact that you get these like awesome notes back that we can sit and and analyze and be like, okay, how do we make our beer better? Because everyone knows that if you if you ask your friends like, hey, I made this beer, what do you think of it? They're of gonna lie to you. Of course. Well, probably. It's amazing, bro. You should go pro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, hey, you got it's any really money? Nice. Yeah, it's really nice having having just totally objective feedback and just like, um, yeah. And it's nice to come back and and dangle some uh, some medals off the top shelf. Yes, it is. But that's nice. um, it, definitely nice. And it's just kind of like, but I think I think you're hitting on the head though. Is the the true value is you have people who have trained and studied and paid very very close attention for a long enough time where they have the right to judge your beer. And instead of giving you the nod yes or the shaking their head no, they give you feedback on right. their experience. That's to me that's where the value is. Is this is what I experienced. Right. And it's also judging against the other beers that are in the round that are on the table. So it's 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 not like a, a I'm tasting one Brett beer and I'm going to say that's a gold, silver, or bronze. It's like okay, how does that compare to this other table full of Brett beers that are so you're kind of getting compared to those other things and it's it's a you know that's that's a benefit i think as well because it's all the you know you're up next blind to all these phenomenal brewers and it's and it's uh yeah you just get good good feedback yeah and and having them side by side then you can start comparing and contrasting and okay okay this one's a little bit drier a little bit harsher than i remember it being but juxtaposed to this one it's like oh oh, yeah now i know which one i like the local one up in portland um remind me Oregon beer, Oregon beer Awards. There we go. They uh, they actually record each session, so after we get our notes back, we can listen to uh, listen to what the judges are actually saying. Because oftentimes oh, wow. judges aren't the greatest at writing notes, but when we can hear what they're saying and then hear that dialogue of like, well, this one has this flavor that I like, this one has this flavor I don't like, and you can kind of yeah get a lot more information. I remember I, I I judged the craft beer awards and they had recorders out there, and I thought, oh, that's that's a great idea yeah. because the dialogue and the conversation is going to be huge right exactly because yeah there's only so much space even even if a judge is going to fill up that entire space there's only so much space so that that, i think that's valuable um so here we are um we're listening to some uh some nice tunes uh, piped out in the speakers in your patio on a chilly now overcast day and we've got some horses meandering over the trees just a hundred yards from us um but you guys do a lot of uh um Ale, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys also do ales uh, fermented naturally, open fermentation. A couple, yeah. A couple, yeah. Uh, can we talk a little bit about the environment? Not the environment, as in like the uh, the green part of it, but just kind of the land, the terroir that you guys are dealing with here in the in the valley. Does that in- impact your beers at all? Definitely, but I'm gonna. We might have to lob this down to the next time you have us on your podcast because we um, have only opened this. 
this tasting room that we're at now, which is where we'll be transitioning all of our, our wild, um, our whole wild program will be out here. Okay. Um, and we've only done a couple of open ferments in town. So, uh, in terms of getting the, the bugs that are in the air out here, we haven't done much with that yet. Um, but we're in the process of moving our whole wild operation out here. Gotcha. So but too soon. I can uh, talk about the terroir of the awesome ingredients that we get out here. So, I mean, yeah. we share a property line with King Estate, which is the largest biodynamic winery in, I know, Oregon, but it could be the whole uh, West Coast. Um, and they have awesome uh, blueberries and plums and apples and, and also all their awesome grapes. So we've done terroir with that. Uh, we're also not like just the next property over is Iris Vineyards where we got Chardonnay for a beer that we're doing right now. Um, and then just up the valley a little more, there's a couple of orchards that we work with to get peaches and apples. So it's, uh, we're in this, in this awesome place where we can get so many, just of the, the best fruits, um, within 20 miles of our brewery. So we can go and we can pick them and then the beer, the fruit that we picked that day can go end up in our beer. So it's, it's, it's really close and it's not frozen and it's, it's, uh, that's really kind of where we're at with terroir right now. And, and on top of that also, we've done a couple of beers where we let them naturally ferment with what was on. We didn't have an open, we didn't have a, a cool ship to open, uh, spontaneously ferment them, but whatever was on those grapes, um, that was, was Pinot yeah. Spontane, right? That yeah. we did that with. And did we have another, is that the only one we've done that way so far? I guess we got the, the yeah. yeah. So, so we're starting to do that with some organisms that are on there, and we'll continue to explore that as we get our program settled out here into the country. Well, then let's let's talk about uh, where we are as a location. Then, I mean, we're, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we're in the Willamette AVA. Yep, right. That's right. Um, and so, most southern part of the Willamette AVA. Most, it, it only became Willamette AVA in the last couple of years. But nonetheless, we were we're still in wine country in yeah. Oregon. Um, the education in the average palate is much greater than the average palate elsewhere in different parts of the country. Um, uh, w- one of the things that always drives me nuts about beer is, is when you talk to someone about wine, they talk about the tasting notes, the food pairings, the family histories of the estates, the terroir, the hillsides, the weather, the on and on and on. When people talk about beer generally, they talk about, oh, what's the ABV? Where are the IBUs? Uh, you know, these days, at least in Oregon, what kind of hops do you use? Which is cool, but still, I think we can do better. You guys seem to talk about beer like most people talk about wine. Why is that? Well, I think one thing when we opened Ale Song is that we're trying to change um, some of the ways that you just described about how people talk about beer and people experience beer and people drink beer. Um, because what we're doing is different than a lot of breweries. You know, we don't have a three-week fermented beer that comes out of stainless and is shipped off to the distributor right away. Um, and because of that, we have to do a lot more education to talk to people about the, the Britannomyces isn't a normal word that most craft beer drinkers uh, understand. Some do, but many, the bulk of them don't. And so we've got some education to do. And so from the start, we wanted to... to um, to use words that maybe were different that set us up apart but then the other thing is we're making some beers that are a little more akin to wine anyway we're putting wine grapes in them we're putting them in oak and we're we're letting the oak transform them in some ways um so i just think there's there's other things to talk about than just how many ibus or you know how high in alcohol it is um, if you if you go back to the pairing things with food or you know the cheeses we had earlier you don't pair IBUs, right? You pair flavors. And yeah. so for us, and, and your average person 
understands flavors when you talk about flavors when you you talk about sort of a grassy note or I think they I think they understand more than they think they do yeah and people understand that and you can really picture what that means more than you can say uh, a 6.7 percent beer that's got 32 IBUs is going to taste like what no idea Um, so we try to start with the flavors because then that you can relate to you know, what you're pairing it with or how you're going to experience it. Yeah, I think if you use that sciency language, the IBUs and the P, talk about pH and, and, and all those things, uh, you're alienating a big portion of people that would love to enjoy your, your beer because they're like, eh, that's kind of nerdy. I don't even know what you're talking about. If you do what Doug said, which is talk about the flavors that they're going to pair it with for the Thanksgiving dinner, it, it makes it much more approachable and, and normal, and uh, and we don't want to cater just to the beer connoisseur, just the person who knows that. We want the general public to love our beers the same way someone goes to the grocery store and buys a bottle of wine and enjoys that at their house as well. But it, it seems like coming in here, um, I did not see the obligatory blonde ale, the obligatory pale an IPA, um, maybe a, a red because those are kind of in vogue these days. Um, it seems like you guys are going straight to the end game of these um, intricate, complex, fancy beers. But so, just from, from being an outsider looking in, it seems like you're skipping over that beginning, uh, that beginner beer experience, and going straight to the end game. You know, in a little bit we are, and we're fortunate here in Oregon to have very educated, even the people who just go grab a whatever six pack from the grocery store know a little more about beer than other places in the country. So we're lucky that we can skip over some of that. The other thing is, uh, and and we, we might be doing the wrong thing. Maybe we should have a Blondale out here, but we've made some beers, which people who like Blondales or Hefeweizens or, you know, an Amber Ale, we, we, we can steer them in those directions. It's amazing. You can take some of the beers we've made that are very complex and intricate and whatnot and our, our, our bar staff can can tell them, oh, you usually drink, uh, let's say you drink IPAs. We have a dry hopped Saison. It's a little drier than an IPA, and it's not quite as bitter as an IPA, but it's got some of those same flavor nuances that you get in an IPA. And I think we don't have to dumb things down for the for the entry-level craft beer person because, we, you know, we do have some pretty educated people who come out here. But um, I think we're totally fine taking that entry-level craft beer person and showing them why our beer can be enjoyed by them as well. Nice. Um, then, uh, kind of, since we're talking about flavor and everything, one of the questions I've been asking my uh, my guests on the show is, uh, and, and I don't want this to sound morbid, um, but it's just kind of like, if you had the opportunity to choose your very last meal in your life paired with the very last beer, what would it be? I got this. I talk about this all the time. Cheese and charcuterie plate with Orval. Well done, sir. Yeah. Wow. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Brian's been thinking about dying. No, I just, I, I don't know. Me and my friends talk about this all the time, but that's just like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a brewery is hard, bro, but it's not that hard. <laughs> I, yeah, well. But uh, yeah, I, I, frankly, I've thought about that too, and I and I vacillate between a, a good charcuterie plate or a plate of nachos. Yeah, there you and, go. But it, I mean, the beard depends on that. But w- well done, sir. Okay, how about you, Doug? Oh man, I don't I don't have a quick. Is that bigger than a Yeah, there you go. Oh man, I don't know. I don't have a. I'll, I'll let Doug I'll, think I'll, on yeah, it. Yeah, I'll come minute. back to you. Um, I, I haven't given a lot of thought like Brian has to this uh, um, because my last meal is going to be many years from now. Um, 
But I'll tell you one beer that I, I don't think it's my favorite beer. Everyone asks that of, of brewers. They say, Which what's your favorite beer? Yeah, exactly. Because they want to know the favorite beer you make or your favorite beer of all time. And it, it's impossible. Um, and this so is many. my version of that question, which I hopefully is more interesting. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. It is, absolutely. But but I would tell you, a lot of times when people make me choose, I, I tell them Rodenbach. Uh, and the reason is that's, you know, classic Flemish red beer. The Grand Cru? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Well and done, and, and it, it's just a wonderful, wonderful beer and a beer style that I like a lot. Um, but what I'm most um, impressed with in that beer is if you try to make a classic Flemish red, it's actually very hard because of the um, blend of organisms in there. And to, to make a beer sweet and sour and not too dry, it's just it's something I've been, balanced. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, it's something I've been chasing and trying to do and, and I haven't done a good job of it as a brewer. Um, but as far as food, I don't know what would go perfect with it. But one thing I love when I'm talking Belgian beers is um, a big bowl of steaming mussels and crusty bread. So if you're going to make me pick, I'll say Rodenbach and mussels. Um, maybe sauteed, steamed in in um, in a, in Orval. <laughs> Go to Brian. <laughs> Sensing a trend. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All Doug, right, well, bring us home. I'm, I'm going to... Go a little bit less fancy than these guys, I guess. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm kind of feeling in an IPA mood right now, actually. So I might just do one of my favorite IPAs, Breakside IPA, and a uh, and a steak. Sounds sounds pretty good to me. You know, it, 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 if if I had like five different meals I could choose, then one of them would definitely be like a good wood-fired pepperoni pizza and IPA. But yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't no, know. I think Sierra Nevada Pale Ale might be high on that list too, just because yeah. that's like. So it's such it's a classic. So it's well, a it's, classic. It's, it's, I mean, this is the conversation. <laughs> I mean, you you get some people who know their beer sitting at tables. Like, all right, top ten beers. It's kind of like that uh, movie High Fidelity. Like, top yeah, ten exactly. songs when you're when you're lonely, or top ten songs when you're like going on a date. It's like you know, you think about okay, the mood you're in right now. Give me the top ten beers you'd want to drink. And and usually anyone who knows what we're talking about, this is kind of like, all right, yeah, I want to want to have the Breakside IPA or the Sierra Nevada or the. It's funny how brewers who, um, you know, maybe make specialty rare beers and barrel-aged beers will go back to, like, yeah, I just drink this awesome Pilsner or I drink this pale ale, which I has been around for 30 years. Personally, drink more, I, like, IPA than, than our beers, frankly. I mean, like, when, whenever brewers come visit us, they'll, they'll bring barrel-aged beers, and I think I've, I've done a good job of telling them to stop doing that and bring us IPAs. Yeah. Because we don't make IPAs, and we really... It's like, bro, we, we really make like, barrel-aged yeah. beers. Don't bring any. And we really like IPAs, so... <laughs> How about a good lager? You got any lagers? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, or like, I, you know, a lot of wine, a lot of yeah, wine, whiskey. whiskey. I mean, wine, whiskey. something yeah. where we're, you know, we're tasting our beers, drinking our beers all the time and at these events, and it's super fun. But then when I go home, I'm like, man, I don't want another one of those. What else can I get? Well, it, to me, it's kind of like going out to, uh, I, I used to work in a, a very high-end restaurant, and there were those people who came every single week. And it's like, okay, you clearly have enough money to pull this off. But I don't know that I want a 40 to $60 steak once a week because then anything else I eat is just going to be like, oh, dear God. But yeah, um, you, you kind of – but, but then you still need to go back to that those street tacos. Yeah, you want and the nachos, right? You, you want the nachos. You want those you know, rolled tacos at midnight just smothered in guacamole <laughs> just because you had them in college and it's just like, all right, I, I need to slum it a little bit. I had a Coors Light at the Ducks game last night. Sorry, <laughs> I just did, and, it and it's delicious. good. And it was so good. We're not. When we were building, um, when we were under construction at this spot, we were out here doing a lot of work. We were on a on a budget, and we were out here doing a lot of the work ourselves. And 
it was funny. Some of the guys on the construction crew would always give us give us some some guff because we would uh we'd be out here painting and then we'd have a cooler of like uh, like Coors Banquet beer or something. They're like, don't you guys make fancy beer? And we're like, yeah, but who wants that after they've been like sweating painting a warehouse all day? Right, yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and that goes back to uh, you know a lot of people like to hate on the big the big entities and uh, you know I, I understand why, mm-hmm. um, but but there's a there's a history there there's a flavor there there's a um i drank bud light when i was in college right. I, I don't drink a lot of bud light now but if i have a bud light it takes me back to right, those experiences exactly. and it's not a bad well, thing. well that's something i'm glad you mentioned that because that's something that music really does for me too and as well as i think everybody just like just flavors you know it's like you you have a flavor or you hear a song and it just takes you back to a moment and it's like there's so much of that in beer too so i, I have to, based on that i, I have a I have a confession to make. Uh, whenever I come across a beer that has not been well aged and it comes across really musty, um, I don't drink all of it, but I drink enough of it just because it reminds me of my great grand- grandfather's house that he <laughs> built by hand. And you go into his basement and it was just full of like dirt and wet wood and everything. It was just like, oh, I know that smell. It takes me back to my childhood. Yeah, exactly. And that is a horrible off flavor, but there's there's that part of me is like, oh, grandpa's house. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. We we all have those things. I think that's just the neuro. Um, the neuromechanics of these flavors and these experiences that that one's that one uh, uh listening to gary newman uh cars song mm-hmm. um, a couple of days ago hated that song back then but and even the video is weird but um but listening to it was like oh yeah i remember this that's kind of cool now <laughs> we all have those moments yeah exactly um so before we wrap it up, because it is it is chilly out here in this Oregon day, um, I have something I want to read to you guys and, and get your take on it. Um, and this comes right out of uh, uh, Garrett Oliver's Brewmaster's Table. And this has been kind of a, a, a defining purpose for what this podcast is about. And he said, uh, paying that little bit of attention both to your food and to your uh, beer um, is the... Oh, sorry, I have to scroll this. Is the difference between having an okay culinary life and having one filled with uh, boundless riches of flavor. Learned a little bit about the amazing variety and complexity of flavor that traditional beer brings to the table. And I, and in return, I promise you a better life. Given what you guys do and the type of beer you create and present to everyone, what's your response of his promise that that you will have a better life if you pay closer attention to what you eat and what you drink. I 100% agree. Um, And I think what makes our beer and just beer in general um, more like that than, say, wine is like, you know, you can have an incredible experience with an Oregon Pinot Noir that's $100 a bottle, and then you can have an incredible experience with a craft beer that's $7 a bottle or $16 a bottle, right? So you can have, like, you know, if if you just take the little bit of time to kind of get into it and realize like what flavors go together, then you're just elevating every experience you have in with food and beverage. And I mean, it translates from beer to, to other beverages, you know, kombucha or wine or whatever, and then whatever you're eating too. So I think it's, you can take very small steps to just like elevate all of it. Coffee too is a huge thing. You know, you can just like, you know, instead of drinking Folgers, you can actually get some good coffee that goes with whatever food you're, you're making or whatever. Right. So I totally agree. 
Nice. 100%. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the way that can be said in a shorter way is, and this has been said by someone else, is uh, life is too short f- to drink bad beer, and life is too short to drink bad food, too. So, you know, if you're putting it in your body, beer or food, whatever, um, it's, it's great to have something that's thoughtful, whether it's thoughtful on the person who made it or the person who produced it or the person who grew the food. Um, you know, why bother? Life's too short. So, so eat good food and, and drink good beer and good wine, for that matter, and you will have a better life for it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think one of the things that um, has brought all of us together and headed us in this direction is that we all agree with that um, that sentiment. And what we have seen, similar to what you have seen, is that um, many people accept that sentiment with wine um, and with beer. For many people, it's just an afterthought. Just, just grab just a six give me pack. a cold one. Grab a six pack of something. Yeah. And and I think, you know, for us, it's really a goal of ours to to kind of take that um, that mentality and and help people sort of approach beer with with a little bit more thought than kind of they have historically. Yeah. From day one, we always we always had said that like one of our goals is that you change the narrative, and when you're going to your in-laws for Thanksgiving, instead of going to the go-to of like, oh, I'm going to go grab a nice bottle of wine. It's like, we want you to bring a nice bottle of beer as well, or instead of. So it's like, that's really, really kind of the core mission for us. Uh, then this is a perfect setup and segue for my final question, um, then, which I have to ask everyone. So I hope you guys are getting super philosophical, but um, uh, given everything we've talked about and what you guys are trying to accomplish, why does good beer matter? Um, I think I, I just heard a cow move. Good beer is a is a whole can of worms that we could go into. What defines that? But I think um, for us and in Oregon, this is especially apparent with just like good food, good beer, good art. All these things is it's, it's a it's a really local um, uh, experience where it's like you know as Oregonians we like to meet the farmer that grew our vegetables. We like to know the person that makes our beer. We like to know. Um, like just be more connected with what we're doing and, and our sense of place. And I think that is something that we as humans have done forever. And then we kind of went away from that with factory farming and all that stuff. And then now I think we're coming back to it. So it's like having an experience where we can have a, a bunch of our, our club members in here all sharing beer and, and eating food and chatting with each other. And, and it's all this sense of place that we have here and more of community aspects. So um, I think that good beer matters because it's really like, you know, it's bringing people together and it's, a sense of place like the northwest has has its you know we have lots of purposes but one of them is good craft beer yeah flannel shirts and craft beer <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And don't forget and beards. beards yeah beards too yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i don't know if i want to follow brian because that was a really good answer <laughs> we should just end there but I, I think we i think we answered your question throughout this chat of why good beer matters and, and the reason is it creates experiences that are memorable and it brings people together like brian said and and it just uh, we want to create those experiences and you do that by sitting around drinking good beer that's that's thoughtfully produced thoughtfully blended um, and you can do that with a table of food or just uh, sharing the beers with them and and I think it it, uh, it brings people together in a way that uh, other things can't always do Doug do you have anything? No I mean the basic summary from my end is you know good beer brings me happiness and hopefully it brings other people happiness and that's why it matters everybody can have a little more enjoyment in their life
That's a great way to end this. Thank you so much for letting me come out and visit your tasting room and tasting some amazing beers and and uh, having this chat. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for yeah, coming. Uh, Thank one, one last little question that I have to ask, but how can people find you online if uh, they want to seek you out? Alesongbrewing.com is where you can get everything, but I think we're, our handle is Alesongbrewing on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But um, most importantly is sign up for our mailing list. Uh, that's the best way to get our beers. We can uh, ship in how many states Seven, now? 17 states. 17, 17 states we can ship to. And, uh, but the most fun thing is obviously to come pick it up at our release party. Um, but alesongbrewing.com slash join is how you sign up for a mailing list. Excellent. I'm going to join before I head home today. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, you guys. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. Just like listening to good music, eating good food, having a good conversation with good friends, drinking good beer can be a defining moment in our lives if we allow it to be. By giving the nuances of flavor and the drinking experience the attention they deserve, we can create an experience that can affect our lives in very profound and wonderful ways. In the next episode, we visit a high-end barley farm to discuss terroir and how to build a better beer from the ground up. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please go to iTunes or Stitcher.com and subscribe to Good Beer Matters. Better yet, send me an email at jeremy at goodbeermatters.net or connect with me on Facebook and tell me what beer stories or knowledge you'd like to hear more about. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Wow. Should we travel down that rabbit hole? I don't know. I think we leave it at that. Let's leave it at that.